We're glad you're here with us today on the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We pray God's word speaks to your heart today as Pastor Chapman Laxton shares the word with us. Well, good evening. I'm glad that y'all are with us tonight uh, as we are continuing on in our Heroes of the Faith series that has been so awesome. Uh, I just have really loved it. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah tonight. Okay, next week's Elisha. All right, and if you ever have trouble knowing which one came first, just think about it like this, J, Elijah, J comes before S. If you ever need that little tidbit, I learned that whenever I was like, 14, and I've never forgot it. It was one of the few things that stuck with me. Uh, I was awake that day in church. Um, no, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys tonight, and, I, and you all hear me say this a lot because I get geeked out about different things on the Word, and you probably hear me say a lot, this is my favorite thing. Uh, but, but Elijah truly is one of my favorite people in the Bible, and I'll be honest, uh, the only reason why I really uh, like Elijah a whole, whole lot is because he just talked a lot of smack all the time. Um, but I believe it was a heavenly smack talk, you know, uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure God let him put his own little flair uh, into what he was saying. Um, but uh, I love that he, he just talked smack, so much smack to the enemy, uh, to people who were trying to raise up evil things. Um, and, and I love Elijah because he was successful in his calling. He was bold. Uh, he lived a supernatural lifestyle practically. Um, and the other side of Elijah that I really love that I can relate a lot to is see Elijah was also at the same time very human. Um, he felt alone a lot of times just in the nature of what he was doing. He got tired of facing rejection over and over and over. Um, at times he had, he, had, he had moments where he was very timid and uh, he felt like he just, he, he asked God a couple times, uh, I, I, want, I, I would rather just be dead than have to deal with what I'm dealing with right now. Um, and, and all those things, is what I, the reasons why I love Elijah is because I feel like we can all relate to that. He, he was human. He was human. And, and, and so in, in everything that he was, I, I love all of that. And while he was 100% human, one of my favorite things about Elijah um, is that he was a 100% type and shadow of who Jesus is to us. And uh, what you've got to know, unlike some of the people that we've studied where we've had to really dive into a whole lot of scripture to try to get some things about them. Elijah has a ton of things, a ton of chapters devoted to him in the Bible. Um, and in that tonight, we're not going to be able to get through all of them. So just really quickly, I want to make some connections for you, 11 quick things, just so that you can see that he is a type and shadow of Jesus that I would highly encourage you to study on your own. These aren't the things that we're going to focus on tonight. Um, I do have some points that we're going to take, but here's, here's just 11 quick things uh, for you. The first is, Elijah's name literally means, my God is Jehovah. Jesus' name meant Jehovah. Um, Elijah uh, altered prophecies. Jesus uttered prophecies. Um, We'll discuss this a little bit tonight, but he miraculously multiplied food. Jesus miraculously multiplied food. Elijah raised the dead. Jesus raised the dead. 
Elijah demonstrated power over the elements of the earth. Jesus demonstrated power over elements of the earth. There was a wicked wicked ruler trying to kill him because of what he represented. Jesus had rulers trying to kill him because of what he represented. Whenever he ran away from those wicked rulers, Elijah went to the wilderness. Whenever Jesus fled from the, the wicked rulers, he went to the wilderness. There was a moment in Elijah's time in the stories that we read where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah revealed multiple revelations of Christ to come. Jesus was the revelation of, of, who, he, of who was to come. Elijah fearlessly denounced sin to the rulers. Jesus fearlessly denounced sin to the rulers. And, and two final thing, or one final thing here. Elijah was taken up miraculously into heaven. And so was Jesus. So just 11 quick things that I wanted to share with you because I want you to know that there's so many things in Elijah's story that if you really get into Scripture, you can study those things. And if anybody's wanting those after, feel free to talk to me. But um, in, in all of these things, what I love the most was that all of this stuff occurred for Elijah whenever it wasn't the most convenient at all time for Elijah to be who he was called to be. Elijah didn't wait for the opportune time to start his ministry. Elijah didn't wait to see if the political landscape was going to kind of change around or if there was going to be... Elijah just was who he was and his ministry bloomed when it wasn't culturally acceptable. Things were bad for Elijah. How bad? Very bad. Uh, the first scripture we're going to read tonight here is 1 Kings 16, 29-34. Just a little background here for you. In the 38th year of uh, Azza, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, and you're going to, you read this a lot in Kings, Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Uh, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than in all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, and this is, this is, this is pretty crazy, in Ahab's time, uh, this guy named Heel, or Hiel, of Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. He rebuilt Jericho. He rebuilt under, under Ahab's rule, what he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do with the money. We're going to take all the taxes and let's go rebuild one of the first major cities that had to be conquered when the, when the Israelites were coming into the promised land. Let's rebuild that place. It lets you know just how destitute he really was. And it says this. This guy laid its foundations 
at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, in accordance with the word that the Lord spoke by Joshua, son of Nun. See, in in the book of Joshua, in, in the sixth chapter, Joshua proclaims a curse over Jericho. This place is so evil that for anybody who tries to raise it up, it's going to cost them. And it's going to cost them the lives of his firstborn son and the life of his second son. That's the curse I put over this place. Sacrificing children for the things that they wanted to build. Does it sound familiar? Well, we're going to keep going. It was bad. Things were bad. But what I love, the first option, the first opportunity we see Elijah come in, here's what he does. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I just love it. The very first time he comes in, not a hi, how you doing? Uh, hey, great place you got here, king. Uh, hey, I really just, hey, can I talk about you with some things to you just real quick? I just want to try to, I just want to try to just uh, kind of get the positive, negative, positive sandwich. Hey, listen, everything's kind of good right here. Here's a little bit of negative I've got for you. And then, oh, but hey, I'm sure you'll get things turned around. No, the first time we see Elijah. You're in sin, and because you're in sin, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to rain not one drop. There's not going to even be dew in the land, except at my word. And what, and what he was saying is, not at my word, but at God's word. It's not going to rain one drop, not one bit. And what you're going to see is Ahab and Jezebel hated him for it. They hated him for it. They hated him for their consequences. And this is my first point tonight. Unrighteous people will always blame the righteous for the consequences of their own actions. Unrighteous people will always blame the consequences of their own actions on the righteous people. Well, the reason why this is happening to me is because Church, bunch of church people just condemn me. Well, that pastor, all he does is get up there and he just reads the words that's in the Bible and, and, and all they do is read that and they don't even think about how it makes me feel. I, I'm, I'm. Unrighteous people will always blame their consequences on righteous people. We, we see it in our country all the time. But, but, these tough times that Elijah had, what we've got to see is, in tough times, what God's trying to do is he's looking for godly people that are going to rise up anyway. Despite understanding that the unrighteous people are not going to be happy with the righteous people. God raised him up to say, no, you can't be doing that. God raised him up to say, Stop, stop, just stop. You can't live like that. 
that's not, you're not going to be able to live a blessed life. What God is looking for in these times, and, and I get it, it's, it's fun sometimes to go, oh, how the days used to be. Oh, how, how, how everything used to just be so great, and now everything's here, and all we do is think about how it used to be. What God is looking for right now in us is to say, whoa, everybody, stop. We can't live like that. We can't give in to that. We can't allow that to happen. What relationship can light have with darkness? And, and, and what a, another story that I just love in, in all of this, because it's, it's, it's so much King Ahab and Jezebel versus Elijah, and there's all these different things, but right smack dab in the middle of this political thing, there's, just a, there's a story about a widow woman and her son. And you know, at first glance, it's kind of like, what, what point? What point does this have in the middle of this story? Because Elijah says that, and God says, go to this lady. What point does that have to do with, with the unrighteous and the righteous? It has this to do with it. Even in the middle of everything that God's trying to do, God's still looking for the one. God's still searching for the one. Even with the big picture and the big stuff going on that everybody should be caring about, God's still looking for the one. And, and, and I want to have time to read through all of it, but in, in chapter 17, verses 7 through 16, we'll, we'll read this part. It says, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Go figure. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go up once to Seraphith in the region of Sidon and stay there. For I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went there. When he got, came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And please, please bring me a piece of bread. Her reply is, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little of olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. We may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. What I love about this story is, is twofold. We have a, a woman who is preparing basically her and her son's last meal. She's at the end of her rope. She's at the end of her financial situation. She has no hope left. And Elijah says this, make first for me a loaf. Then bring me a jug of oil, and it'll continue to fill, and it'll continue to fill, and it'll continue to fill. That flower won't ever run out, not until it rains here on this land. 
when the woman saw that what Elijah said came true, she just continued to make it. She continued to make it. She continued to make. And it was because of her faith in what Elijah said that she saw God provide for her family. In the middle of everything else going on, one woman and her son. What I want you to see is that in the big picture, in the big scheme of everything, God cares about your situation. Here I am. We're in the middle of this political position and everything's going on, but me and my son, we're, no, what God's saying is. And if you continue and you know this story, it actually says that a few days later as Elijah's with him that the son dies. And Elijah ends up raising the son back to life. And what's really cool is at the end of that, when the son gets raised back up, it's then when the woman says, now I know. That the, who, who you say that the Lord is, is true. Now I know that who you say God is, is true. All God's looking for is a little bit of obedience. And, 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 there's, and there's new life available. I just, you, can't, you can't not read about Elijah and not read that story. So anyway, it, we see all that. We, 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 we get all that. And, and it leads me to my second point for, from, from this. It says, this is, this is what I wrote. God's looking for people to raise up to be a counter to sinful culture. God's looking for people to raise up to be a counter to sinful culture, even if it's just one. Even if it's just one person. Even if it's just one family. Even if it's just one church. Even if it's just one community. God's just looking for some people who will raise up to be a counter to sinful culture. But we have to decide, are we going to be that community? Are we going to be that people? Matthew 5, 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. What good do we have if we're not rising up to be made into a counterculture? What do we have to offer as a church if we're not speaking out against, if we're not saying, no, you can't live like that, here's how you live. No, you can't be doing that and expect God's blessing. Here's what you sow. Here's what you say. Here's what you do. You know, today, it's, tomorrow's our, our, today was technically our last day, but tomorrow we have a big field day planned. And I had to go get this dunk tank for us to use. And, and, and this dunk tank, really cool, really fun, but where it had been, it had been sitting for a long time. And at the bottom of this dunk tank, and mind you, this dunk tank's about as tall as I am standing up. So all, 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 at the bottom of that dunk tank was just black sludge. Nasty. I mean, just... I'm talking about like the stuff would be like at the bottom of the cow pond, like the good stuff. And whenever I drained it out, you know what I didn't do? I didn't go, oh, I drained all the nasty water out. Now here, let me fill up this nasty dunk tank with water 
And okay, this will be, Mel and Rachel will love to, to jump into that and just feel their toes just squish all into that. No, what I did was I got in there with a shovel and I shoveled all that junk out. Even though at the bottom, it was only at the very, very bottom. As, as, as compared to the rest of the volume of the dunk tank, it was very, very little. But I wasn't about to leave a little bit of nasty in something that I knew I was going to have to get in. I'm making this all about Rachel and Mel, but really, I, I, I didn't want to get in it either. It's like the bathtubs I used to have to take baths in. I mean, growing up poor, I mean, it's just how it was. But if I ain't got to swim in that, uh, anyway. God is not looking for us to be almost clean all the way, and then at the bottom, just, it's, just a little, it's just a little bit of my life that is nasty, nasty. That's how God uses our, our sinful stuff that we want to keep in there. And so what you have to do is you have to, you have to tip your life up and let that nasty stuff run out of there. And then you take clean water and you wash it out. And then you let it sit and swirl around and then you have to dump it again and let it, and let it get out. And you wash more water in there. Lana was helping me today. And I had to pick that thing up seven or eight times so that we could get all that nasty stuff out of there. I don't go out there and look because it's not super great. But it's be- you can actually see the bottom and you go, oh, it's, it's, not, it's not just completely filthy now. God will clean you out better than I cleaned out that dunk tank. Let me just say that. But you have to let him. And it, and it, and it takes effort and it takes work and it takes, let me read you a beautiful passage of scripture here. From Deuteronomy, a a book of the Bible that we all love to quote. Deuteronomy 28.63 says this. This is a promise that God made in the Old Testament. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so will it please him to ruin and destroy you. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. But God, that's not good. God, that doesn't cheer people up. God, why would you want me to read that scripture? Because here's what you have to understand. It, what is pleasing to God is not sin. What is pleasing to God in your life is not sin. And you have to get this sin out of your life if you're wanting to maintain the promised land experience that you're going into right now. You've got to let God clean you out. And that's what Elijah was doing. That's what the people who Elijah was trying to work with, he was trying to get them stirred to. You've got to stop. You've got to submit. You've got to let God get that nasty out so that you can walk into blessing. See, it's a turbulent time right now in our nation. And there's some crazy things going on. And, it's, and I get it, it's not like it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. But, but what we have to see is what God's not looking for in the church is a kumbaya, well, let's just see how it goes if we just keep letting this thing just float on down. 
what God's looking for is some people who are going to say, okay, I'll stand up. Okay, God, but, but where we stand up at, if we were at the culture conference, the first place we stand up at is in, in our own lives. Okay, I am not going to let that happen anymore. And I'm going to make first for the prophet so that then I can be. What we're saying is I'm going to make first let the word come into my life and I'm going to submit and in faith God's going to take us to a new place. We call it out. Well, that really won't win us very many popularity contests. Is that going to get us the Christian Character Award? See, we have to understand it's a parallel. Israel is a parallel of the church today. And they walk in blessing, and they walk in understanding, and they walk with God. Things are good. And when they're lax in their belief, they don't hold strong to their convictions, they, they allow sin, they allow Jezebel spirits to come in, there's no rain. It's not good. And Elijah's raising up to say, we, we have to hate what we're at war against. We have to hate what God hates. You know, I was, as I was studying this and I was getting this prepared, I was reading a deal that said, the reason why Jezebel is someone, I couldn't believe that this was in an, in, in an article. The reason why the modern feminist can look to Jezebel as someone they can pattern their life after. This was in the New York Times. I don't know, you guys were like, oh, well, of course. But how many people read this? And here's what it said. Jezebel is one of the most intriguing women in the scriptures. Albeit a hodgepodge of blood-stained acts, she was a strong-willed, politically astute, and courageous woman to study. What? We've got to hate what God hates. We've got to hate with what's trying to destroy us. We can't allow somebody to come in and tell us that we've got to tolerate. Well, she was a strong-willed woman, and she got thrown out a window. Sorry, we'll get to that here in a little bit. So I'm not, that's not an anti-woman. I'm not an anti-woman pastor up here telling you that if you're a strong-willed woman, you get thrown out a window. But anyway, um, <laughs> if you're a Jezebel spirit, Let's go on. God's trying, second point, God's trying to raise up a culture that will counter the sinful culture. And, and what we need to learn in that is my third point. You have been recreated to humiliate the enemy in your life. God wants you to do this. That's why you were reborn. For you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power Love and of a sound mind. You were given that not so you could just be strong-willed just for strong-willed sake, or you could be courageous for courageous sake, or you could, I, now I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're swinging a softball bat, or we're shooting hoops, or we're, 
you're missing the whole point of what the scripture's about. You've been given power to tread on serpents, to pull down strongholds, to break chains that have been in your family history for generations. You have been given a rebirth to humiliate the enemy. Not to let him sit at your lunch table and, yeah, that's right. I don't like you. And you tolerate his existence in your life. You are called and reborn to humiliate the enemy. And, and, and in this, I want you to see that this is, this is a, a big parallel here. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going we're gonna to read just a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a close here. The battle on, on, on Mount Carmel. I told you guys there's, a, there's a, the parallels, the types and shadows of Elijah and Jesus. We have here a battle on Mount Carmel that I want you guys to see. Um, let's, go, let's go ahead and let's read. It says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, Ahab, uh, told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Remember, unrighteous will always blame the righteous. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah replies, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the, the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, and Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So we're going to put something to the test here. All the people said, what you say is good. Well, I just said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls to prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Now, I've heard a lot of really cool sports things. You know, Babe Ruth calling his shot. Larry Bird coming in to the three-point shootout contest. Who's, who's coming in second? I, I've heard some pretty good smack talk stories. Look here what Elijah says to him. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in a deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Shout louder. Get your God here. Boy, I'll tell you, if that don't make the hair on your neck stand up. So they shouted louder, and it says they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until the blood flowed. 
Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then look what Elijah does. He said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, You shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two says of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering of the wood. One scoop. Do it again, he said. Two scoops. Do it a third time. Three scoops. So 12 buckets of water poured how many times? One, two, three. How many days was our Savior in the grave? And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And goes on to say, then that the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also, and also was licked up in the water in the trench. The fire burned everything. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Pay attention to the order of this. Fire comes down. They proclaim he is God. Then Elijah commands them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, had them brought down to the Kishon Valley, and they slaughtered them there. The fire came down. They proclaimed that God was who he was. And then they destroyed the sin that was in their camp. They killed, they slaughtered the prophets of Baal. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Not a drop of rain was coming until they slaughtered the prophets of Baal. Not a drop. You have to know not a stitch on the veil was torn until Christ breathed his last breath and our sin was put to death on him. Not a stitch of, of, of the veil that separated us from God was torn until Jesus said, it is finished. And our sin was put to death. We've got to see that in Elijah's life, He's a representation of who Christ was. He came as a messenger saying we have to turn from our sin. We've got to turn back to the Lord. And what happened? The, 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 the evil kingdom that looked like it was winning began to crumble. This is the start of the end for, for Jezebel and Ahab. And this leads me to my fourth point. Anything that tries to rise up against the Lord will be thrown down. It may look like it's winning now, but it won't be for too long. And let me ask you, 
What's 200 years to the eternal God? What's 300 years to an eternal God? We think, we think oh, well, well, it's not happening right now, so God must not be. Listen, anything that tries to raise itself up against God, perversion, sec, the, 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 the perverse nature of some of our leaders, the things that we might think, oh, well, God, what, what can we do? God's, God's got this. In, in the end, no matter, no matter what happens, God, God is over it. In a, like I said about Elijah, you know, he, he, made, a, he made a lot of different prophecies, and, and one of the things that he, that he said was about Ahab and Jezebel, it's not, not super pretty sounding, but that dogs would devour their dead bodies so that no one would be able to say, here lies Jezebel. What we know is that in the end, the principalities, the rulers, the evil kingdoms, the things that try to set themselves up against the Lord, they will be so brought low, they will be so destroyed that no one will ever be able to say, here's this, or here's where this kingdom was. You know, I, I, did, a little, I did a little study, not, not to say anything negative about any of these things, but at one time, Rome's empire was 3,196,000 square miles. Now Rome is a country of 496 square miles. The Mongol Empire, Genghis Khan, had an empire of 15,534,000 square miles. And now you can't even find on, the, on a map where the Mongol Empire is. There's just a bunch of different countries in what used to be. And then our friends across the prawn, Britain, at one time at its peak had an empire that covered a quarter of the globe, 21,747,000 square miles. And now Great Britain as a country can fit inside of Michigan. What I want you to see is, is though for a time it may seem like Look at how big our enemy is, God. What are we going to do? What are, what are we to do? And all I'm trying to get you to see is, is that anything that tries to raise itself up against the Lord will be brought. What do we know about every knee? Every knee is going to bow. Whether it's by choice or the glory of the God shows up, the glory of God will show up and every knee will bow. At the name, whenever he, whenever he comes. What we've got to see is what we've got to always hold, hold on to is we get the choice of what side we're going to pick right now. Well, culturally, I just sure don't want to offend anybody. 
So I better not wear that Christian shirt or I better not say, well, I don't, well, guys, I don't think we ought to, I don't think we ought to say that. I sure don't want people at my work to think that, oh, what if they think I'm a Christian and, oh, what's God going to do then? I don't know, maybe bless you. Well, what if I get fired? You don't think God can't get you another job? I'm just saying, what are we going to tolerate? Are we going to let a little bit? Of... But look, look who's in charge. Look what they're saying. Look what they're doing. What are we going to decide to do? Elijah's got a lot of different things for us. But I hope what we'll see is that we can stand. God will succeed through us. And in the end, our team wins. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.